to the Thursday edition of the Daily Walk. I'm your host, Wayne Clevenger, and today we are in Matthew 16 through 19, and Jesus is in the teaching mode for his disciples. He has relatively like three years with them, and he's trying to prepare them for when he is taken up to heaven. Just going to be a spoiler alert for you. Because, you know, he doesn't stay on the earth forever. He's on a mission, right? So in his mission, he is trying to prepare his followers for when they're going to have to believe when they can't see. Now, that's scripture. We won't get to it for a little bit. But he's preparing them, he's teaching them, and he's helping them see that the Old Testament, Old Covenant way is deeper than just the words on the tablets or the scrolls. So we get into chapter 16 right now with the battle he faces and that the disciples face often with those religious leaders, the ones that should know. And I just... I have to think, man, it's the ones that should know, you know. The ones that should be leading us to deeper relationship with Jesus. And I have several that uh, I always say believe like us because they walk what they talk and they really do lead us to a deeper relationship and, you know, we pray a lot, we talk and teach a lot. Those are my people, you know. And then there's the ones that are saying one thing and, and kind of living another thing, and they don't even realize the uh, oxymoron. Let me put it that way, because I don't want to call it what Jesus is going to call it here in a minute just yet but the oxymoron of the life you know because we we can't say remember jesus already said if you're not working for me then you're working against me and that's huge we have to if you're not supporting me then you're supporting the enemy. We had that yesterday. So we kind of have to be careful in what we say, how we act, react, interact, and what we interact with. Does it represent what we're about? And these leaders, 
in chapter 16 hit Jesus again with show us a miraculous sign, even though everything he does is miraculous, right? Because he's healing people that have been afflicted for years, if not from birth, and they're denying it. They just want to, you know, they want to, yesterday we talked about how they said, oh, he can do this because he's a prince of demons. Well, first of all, why would the prince of demons remove your affliction? That's not what he's about, right? So Jesus counters them again with, instead of just boldly telling them, he says, you know the signs, you know the saying, red sky at night means fair warning to fair weather today. Red sky in the morning means foul weather all day. You know how to interpret the weather but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. And then he says only an evil adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But then he reiterates the only sign I'm going to give you is a sign from the prophet Jonah. That's it. That's all he says. He doesn't put add in. Remember earlier he said, which is just as Jonah spent three days in the belly of a fish, I'm going to spend three days in the earth, three days and three nights. So he doesn't even expand it on that. He just says the same as the prophet Jonah. And he moves on. So they cross, him and the disciples cross to the other side of the lake, and the disciples figure out they forget bread because, you know, that's kind of a journey. And Jesus says to them, because he's thinking about how these Pharisees are stirring the pot, right? And he says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Well, yeast, bread, so they default to, oh, who brought, who brought, who's the one <laughs> that didn't bring the bread? And do they use bad yeast or something? They're defaulting to food, and Jesus they're arguing amongst each other, and Jesus says, come on, you guys. Why do you always got to think earthly? Why do you always got to think in the physical? Don't you remember how I fed the 5,000? Don't you remember how I fed the 4,000 and you had all those baskets left after each one? Why do you always got to think in the physical? I'm not talking about the physical. And then he says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. He says it again. He doesn't explain any different. He just says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And then they're like, oh, because they know he just got into it with them a little bit. They're like, he's talking about their deceptive teachings and the way they live. They talk one way and live a different way. And that's good stuff. We got to take that to heart because we got to beware of those that say one thing in the public eye and then live a whole different way outside of that. So when they get to the other side, Jesus asks them an identity question. And my good friend writes a book called Identity, and that's who we are in Jesus. Uh, it's available on Amazon, written by Dan Bohai. You, and I strongly encourage you to read that. That would change your life. Uh, 
because if we realized who we were in Jesus, man, it would it would really strengthen us through the day. But anyway, he says, "Who do people say I am?" And then they, you know, they say, "Well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah." And so he hits him with this straight up. But who do you say I am? And that's a good question for all of us. Who is Jesus to us? You know, I was keep talking about how I taught a Bible class at one of the Christian schools the other day, and that's a good question because we pose that for another religion, and another religion looks at Jesus as just a man. He's not really the Messiah, and, you know, that he literally died and the only thing that they don't really believe he rose that he just a man yeah he was a prophet but he was just a man they don't believe in the divinity so who is jesus to you well simon peter blurts out you are the messiah the son of the living god and jesus says you're blessed because i didn't tell you that you're blessed because my Father in Heaven's revealed that to you. So because Peter figured that out all on his own because the Lord God has revealed that to him, Jesus says this, and I highlighted this because this is huge. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. That's the part that's key. Because we know Peter has issues. We know Peter is going to be told he'll deny Jesus three times. And we know that Peter has an ego problem. Because it's coming up. But he says, all the powers of hell will not conquer it. So as many problems as Peter has... Jesus sees that he's the rock of the church, and even though he has those issues, all the powers of hell are not going to overcome it. He's going to get through it, and God's going to prevail, and Peter's going to stand firm. And that reminds me of that song on the radio, My Fear Don't Stand a Chance When I Stand in Your Love. So God, Jesus gives him this, whatever you forbid on earth, that we're going to see this again here today, whatever you forbid on earth is forbidden in heaven, or whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. That's some serious power that he's just given to him. So then Jesus tells him that he's going to die, and on the third day he's going to rise again. And when he does that, here's Peter's ego. He rebukes Jesus, like probably because Jesus said, you're a rock and on you I'm going to build my church. And Peter's like, no, 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 you can't. That's never going to happen to you, Lord. I'm going to protect you. You just made me, gave me all the powers of heaven so that Satan can't overcome me. So I'm not going to let that happen to you. And then Jesus says, get away from me, Satan. (laughs) So he just called him the church, and now he calls him Satan because he says you see things only from a human point of view because he just told him how great he's going to be in the kingdom, 
but he's got to shift his mindset from being of the flesh and see the only way that you're going to be able to overcome Satan is to be in the spirit, work in the spirit. Well, however you forbid things on earth is forbidden in heaven. That comes from the power of God, not of the flesh. How's Jesus going to raise from the dead? Not from the flesh, but from the power of his divinity from God. And so in a minute, he's going to get to see how that all plays out. And so Jesus tells him, hey, look, if you want to be my follower, you got to give up your way. You got to quit thinking like you think, and you got to think like I think. So you got to take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. If you got if you keep thinking the way you think, you're going to end up losing out on the option of heaven because your way is the fleshly way, which is what Satan wants us to do. Take up your cross and follow me. Be an everyday living sacrifice that says, I'm not going to let anything come between me and God, and I'm going to be what Jesus was, the one that gave up all for all of us. Because he says, what do you gain if you, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Ooh, that's intense. Is anything worth more than your soul? No. When I was flying on the helicopter, we always took off and told our dispatch how many were on board. And we didn't say three people on board. We didn't say three souls. We said three souls on board. Because if we were to crash, that's what would be left was the souls. The bodies are gone, man. Our lives are gone. But our souls are what carry on. Our souls are what meet with the final judgment. Our souls. And I just thought that was cool that that's how we report it because that's what Jesus says. And I'm like, man, that's interesting that we think like that in a place where it's very of the world, you know. So... In 17, Peter, James, and John are told to go with Jesus up to the mountain, and they go there, and they get to see firsthand how they got to give up their life to have his life because that's where the transfiguration takes place. They fall on the ground. They look up. They see Jesus glowing white as white can be, and then two other guys join him, Moses and Elijah, and they're like, whoa, what is this? And it's Jesus becoming glorified, getting ready for that day where his body will become new again. He's just preparing it. He's just getting ready. That's like the sign to us. Hey, look, we got to be ready. So when that day comes, that's like the purification process sort of. <laughs> so that when we give ourselves over to Jesus, this new spirit comes in us so that we can do all things through him who gives us strength. And so they're amazed in that. And so they go and they get to see that, and Jesus says, um, 
don't tell anyone what you've seen until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Because that's when it all makes sense. Because when you see me go to the cross, you're going to be like, whoa, look at how beaten he is. But when you see me raised, you'll see why this was significant. Because this transfiguration, see the words in that? is what's going to transfigure the once beaten beyond recognition God, Jesus, into his new body when he raises from the grave. That's what gives us our new body when we raise from the grave and we're not in these old wretched bodies we live in. Ooh, you mean we get transfigured? In a sense, we will, yes. It says so. And then later on when we get to Paul's writings. So, when they come down the mountain, the first thing they're met with is, remember there's the other disciples there that haven't, that didn't go up. They're met with a man who, <laughs> who has a son who's had seizures and for a long time that make him fall into the fire and they bring him to Jesus because he took him to his other disciples and they couldn't heal him. And Jesus is like, oh, bring him to me. How long must I put up with you faithless and corrupt people? And then Jesus rebukes the demon from the boy and the boy goes away well. That's what he's met with when he comes down. So after everybody disappears, Versus the disciples say, hey, how come we couldn't cast the demon out? And he says, you don't have enough faith. And then he goes into the dissertation that you got to have faith, even as small as a mustard seed, because then you could tell a mountain to move from here to there and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. See, we have to believe when we ask, that's coming, we got to believe when we ask. We can't really go to Jesus asking him to do something in our prayer life and in the back of our mind doubting that it'll ever come to be. That's like if you're a weightlifter and you say, hey, add 10 more pounds or 20 more pounds on the bar, and you go to pick it up, when you put your hands on the bar, you already think, I can't do it. That's like a batter in baseball going to the plate thinking, I'm never going to hit this guy, and you strike out. How can you possibly do it when you already believe you can't? Well, how do you expect Jesus to heal something for you when you already believe he's not going to? Does he have the power? Sure, he has the power, but he's wanting us to believe. Oh, that's a scripture that comes up later. We have to see that. So Jesus, again, predicts his death. This is the second time, and he gets a little more descriptive because he says he's going to be betrayed into the hands of man and then be killed and on the third day wake up. And so he tells him that again. And here's what's cool. Then they try to, the religious 
leaders again try to trick them in about the temple tax. And they asked Peter this time, hey, Peter, don't you guys pay the tax? And Peter's like, uh, well, yeah, sure we do. So Peter goes and asks Jesus, hey, what about the tax? Do we pay it? And, and uh, Jesus says, hey, do you think people tax their own people? And he's like, uh, they only tax the people they conquer. And he says, okay, well, the citizens are free. However... We don't want to offend them. So go down to the lake and throw your line in. Open the mouth of the first fish you catch, and you will find a large silver coin. Take it and pay the tax for both of us. The key words in this is we don't want to offend them. See, Jesus could have, because he's king of kings, right? And they're free. He could have said, I don't believe in this. I'm not doing it. See, we got so many Christian people and I'm putting quotes around Christian, that say they're Christian, but because a government official says this, they rear their heads and say, I have rights, and they are not going to do it because, 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 because of the wonderful things he does. But we're not serving the Wizard of Oz. We're serving the Lord, and the Lord himself says... However, we don't want to offend them. And somewhere we've lost track that even the Lord says, however, we don't want to offend them. And we become offensive. And if we look in the word of God where the Lord Jesus walked the earth amongst a bunch of offensive people, he didn't have these outbursts. He didn't put up resistance. He didn't speak out like many of us do. His word was, however, we don't want to offend them. And we're going to see all along where Jesus is not a confrontational Jesus. The only people Jesus speaks out against is the religious people who should know better. And so I highlighted that because I thought, man, that's super good. I bookmarked it too. So then the greatest in the kingdom comes up in chapter 18, and it tells you it's this. I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you'll never get into the kingdom. And he says, woe to the man that makes one of these little children fall, draws them in the sin. It would be better if they had a millstone wrapped around their neck you know, and thrown into the depths of the sea. I don't want to be that person. Beware that you don't look down on any of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly Father. So that's proof positive our little ones are always being watched over. So if we're supposed to be like our little ones, Maybe if we were humble ourselves like our little ones, maybe we'll have these angels watching over us all the time, like the Lord, the Holy Spirit will send it, and we will be humble enough that we'll know left from right. Woo. And we won't get into that. That's huge. I love that. Then he goes into the 99. 
you know, if we have 100 sheep and one gets lost, won't he leave the 99 to go get the one? And what a celebration that'll be. You know, that's good. That's good. There's that one song out there that reckless love where he leaves the 99 for the one. Man, that's good. I love that. And it's not reckless like he's being careless because if you, if, you know, when he leaves the sheep, the sheep have a tendency to herd. They stay together. They do that. So he's not being careless. It's reckless that he's loves us so much that he would go after us and risk his own self by being alone to find you because he wants you in his life that much. And then there's the part about correcting another believer and, you know, ask him by yourself and if that doesn't work and if you can't get anything settled, then take another believer with you, two or three with you to so that you can't, you know, be in a he said, she said situation. That's in Matthew 18. That's good stuff if you have to do it. And then again, he says, again, which we already had a couple chapters ago, I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. See, he gives us that power, and we need to use that. And then he says, I tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. Therefore, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also. That's huge. That's why when we pray together, we always pray in agreement. Because we know that scripture is there, and we want to pray in agreement. And so, this chapter closes out. Remember in Matthew 6, verse 15, it said, If you're... If you refuse to forgive your brother, your heavenly Father will forgive. Will refuse to forgive you too. And that's this closes out with. If you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart, your heavenly Father will forgive. Refuse to forgive you. And so this is at the end of the unforgiving debtor because he talks about the unforgiving debtor. So there's a lot to be said about forgiveness and why we should be doing that. So chapter 19 has the part about marriage where a man and woman come together, become one. A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. They are no longer two but one. Let no one split apart what God has joined together. Let no man-made situation break apart what God has joined together. Friends, no man-made situation. That means money. That means other people. That means life's circumstances, if God is first in your relationship, you will make it. If God is first in your relationship, don't let anything separate it. That's what we need right now is more understanding of that. Remember, he just said, anything you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. So bind it up. Reflect on that. And a lot of people, man, we got to just put God first. We need God first in all that we do. 
And then he says it again. Let you know the the children are coming and the people try to put them away because they think that the disciples try to put the children away because they don't want them to bother Jesus. And Jesus says, no, let the children come to me. The kingdom belongs to those who are like these. Remember what I just taught you in the previous chapter? You gotta be like these children. And I'm thinking Jesus is like, calm down. You gotta do this. And then he goes into the rich man and how hard it is for a rich man because we want to have our own things and we it's hard for us to give up everything to follow Jesus. And so they say, well, we've given up everything. What will we get? And he says, I promise you, if you've given up house or family or friends for me, you'll get 100 times more. And so he says it's easier for a, camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich man to get to heaven and when he says rich man he doesn't necessarily mean monetarily but someone who thinks they have it made okay because when we think we're doing good and we all have we have everything we need we think we're good and we don't need something else and so the disciples say well who can be saved and jesus says intently humanly speaking it's impossible but with god everything is possible and i had a friend one time and you know i we were coaching baseball and he looked over at me and he says you can't save me and i said you're right i can't but jesus can and he's like, whoa. You could see that that really, he never heard that answer. And those people started coming to my church, and the next thing I know, those people both gave their life to Jesus, and they're really good friends of mine still. And they, I baptized him not much longer than that, both of them, him and his wife both. They're good workers in the church still today, and I pray with them often, and it's just awesome to see how God moves in that. And I'm like, this is cool because the Lord tells people, anyone who gives up house, a brother, sister, mother, for his sake reserves, receives a hundred times more in return and inherits eternal life. So what Jesus is just telling us is, hey, if we go into a meaningful relationship with Jesus, we get the assurance of eternal life. And I don't know about you, but that's what I want. And when I look at what I gave up for that, I really don't think it was that much. Because what he's given me in return is huge. Do I still have issues? Yeah, I have issues. Do I still have circumstances that are less than? Yes, I do. But here's the thing. 
Each morning when we pray, we bind those things up and we cast them out in the name of Jesus because we know we're not going to let those affect us in our walk. My wife and I pray every morning before she goes to work. And we claim the blood of Jesus and we walk in it every day because we know that we can't do it without him. And we know that he is why we're here today as a unit, as a family, and as a people. So I encourage you, if you don't know the Jesus I know, to ask somebody about it and see, hey, how do I receive that? And if you want to ask me, just message me, and I will be loving to help you and pray with you. You can direct message me through the Facebook page or on uh, Compassion Church's page. And man, would we love to pray with you. So today, know that Jesus loves you and have a great Thursday. And we'll see you tomorrow as we continue this awesome book in Matthew. Yeah.